Do you have a property that is in rough condition, has tenant issues, or a project that never got finished? Then you need to contact Homelink Properties. This Springfield, Missouri-based company will give you a fair cash offer on your property, completely as is, the same day you reach out. If you're an investor, Homelink Properties can also put your house in front of hundreds of cash buyers so that you too can quickly sell your property. Give them a call today, 417-295-0723. Hey, Growth Circle listeners. What are you currently doing to generate more leads, sales, and exposure for your business? Hopefully it is digital marketing. If you haven't got started in the digital world, check out our friends at Primate Digital. They offer everything you need to get your business to thrive online, from web development and online advertising to social media management and filming. They work closely with you to understand your unique goals and create a custom plan that will help you achieve them. And to all of our Growth Circle listeners, they are giving $100 off for the first three months. So just go to primate, P-R-I-M-A-T-E dash digital.com forward slash growth and schedule a free consultation to get started. I personally use them. They're fantastic. Primate Digital. Titan Title and Closing of Missouri is ranked as Missouri's top title company for real estate investor transactions. Titan is your local title and investor-friendly experts. Whether you're seeking wholesale or assignments, subject tos, Titan can help you with your transactions. Sam and her team have made it their passion and drive to give investors a learning opportunity to expand their knowledge in order to grow and succeed in their ventures. I personally use them. They're fantastic. Give the experts a call today. 417-882-2100. We talk a lot about building wealth using real estate, and that includes having the right mortgage. Tatiana with Movement Mortgage is a local lender who is experienced in new construction, investment properties, and primary home needs as well. With the expedited underwriting of Movement Mortgage and Tatiana's experience, you can be approved in as little as 10 days. Call or email her for your mortgage needs. Welcome to the Growth Circle Podcast, discussing topics of personal growth, gathering stories of individuals embarked on the path to success, and most importantly, providing a platform for individuals that want to learn and grow. And now, here are your hosts, Jake Ingledew and John Mitchell. Hey guys, so this recent podcast recording that we just did, it is not from the Growth Circle podcast. I was actually a guest on the Bug Bucks podcast, and we talk a lot about culture, creating a vision, sticking to a vision, um, and to learn how to delegate so you can scale your business. So stay tuned, check this out. Uh, Hope you enjoy. I'm excited for our guest today. His name is Jake Ingledew, and he is the founder and owner of 417 Pest Solutions. And, you know, we're excited to have him. Welcome to the show, Jake. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be on. It's kind of weird being on this end of a podcast because on my podcast, I'm the one doing the interviewing. So 
uh, which we've had you on too, Alan. So that was, that was a lot yeah. of fun. So thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We, you know, I think one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on is, I mean, there's a couple, right? I know that you've got your hands in a couple of different businesses. You're, you're getting pulled in different directions, not just, you know, your pest control business. Um, so that's one thing I kind of wanted to, to touch on a little bit. And then also wanted to touch on um, kind of the infrastructure that you're building over there at 417. Um, and, you know, talk about some of the systems that you have in place, some of the things that you're working on to develop those systems and to develop your people. So why don't you start by just kind of giving us an intro into how you got into the bug business in the first place? <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody dreams of being a bug guy. <laughs> uh, I got started in it. Um, well, long story short, I was in the military, got out of the military, was going to school to be a, a dentist over halfway through my major, job shadowing a bunch of dentists. Every dentist I met hated their job. <laughs> uh, I didn't, I don't think I wanted to take OCHEM. So I was like, <laughs> trying to find a way out of dentistry. <laughs> uh, but anyways, that whole time I, I had, as I was going to school, I'd been doing door-to-door -door sales for different companies, Aptive being one of them. Uh, my first summer with them, I sold 250 accounts and I did it pretty easily. Like <laughs> I played a lot, didn't really hmm. put that much effort in. I was like, oh man, this is good money, which was the most money I had ever made, you know, in one summer. Um, so I did that for a few summers and then, um, decided I didn't want to knock doors anymore. And I constantly was thinking about business and real estate. And so next thing you know, I was like, dude, I think I could start a business, which I think a lot of, a lot of sales guys think that, right. Because they're like, Oh, I can, yeah, I can add my own accounts on. Um, yeah, but it's definitely a learning curve when you have to learn all the technician side of stuff, the operation side of stuff, but that's essentially how I got into it. I just uh, decided to pull the trigger and start my own. So what are like the biggest, the biggest issues? Like you mentioned, you know, going from that sales side, which is, it's a great skill set to have a lot of really successful, um, you know, PCOs have that background. What did you, what do you feel like you kind of banged your head against the most? I would say probably my biggest hurdles were probably, um, just learning, uh, the professional side of things of how to treat houses, how to treat for certain bugs, how much chemical to use. And I still, honestly, to be honest, I suck at it, but I've got guys that I've trained to, to learn that. And to, we continuously learn on that, but that was probably the toughest part for me was just uh, learning all that stuff, which I learned quite a bit. Um, I'd say that's probably the toughest part because adding on accounts was no problem. It was just learning the business side of things. That was a lot harder than um, what I anticipated. Hmm. You know, man, I love how humble you are. And I've learned this about you over the past while that you and I have worked together on projects and stuff. Um, and I, and I appreciate that, you know, you realize that you're not the best at everything that can possibly have to do with pest control, right? Um, you're really, really smart at delegating. And you're smart at understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are, which I think a lot of PCOs struggle with. Um, and you're really awesome at what you do well. And for the things that you don't do well, well, you say you don't do them well. I think you're awesome. But the stuff that you say you don't do well, I think you're really quick to find guys that do that well and to delegate. What do you feel like was the first thing that you delegated off your plate when you got 417 started? Um, yes. So it's crazy because I think a lot of people struggle with that. They're like, because uh, I was doing everything. 
And mm-hmm. dude, I'm not good at accounting. I'm not good at this and that. I probably, the first thing I outsourced, I'm all about leveraging other resources and other people that are a lot smarter than I am. The first thing that I probably leveraged was bookkeeping and taxes. Mm-hmm. I got an accountant, had them do that. And they started doing that for me. That's probably the first hire that I, I had, but um, the, I hired a technician first is what I first hired. And I think for a lot of business owners, that's super hard to let go of that control. Cause yep. you know, thoughts run through your head, like, dude, they're not going to do as good of a job as I am. They don't know how to talk to customers. Like I do. No one does bugs better than me, blah, 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 blah. Um, but for me, it, like I was, I knew from the very get go that I did not want to be in pest control. I like, I didn't want to be, I didn't want a job. I wanted a business. And if you know, I can go off on some different tangents, you might have to rail me back in here. But like, if you ever read cash flow quadrant, um, you know, from Robert Kiyosaki, great book, four, very underrated yeah, awesome, book. Awesome probably, book. probably I like that book more than rich dad, poor dad. I'm not joking. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's fantastic. And there's four quadrants, right? So there's, you know, the W2 employee, right? There's the mm-hmm. self self-employed, which is what I was at that time. Right. I was the one doing everything in the, in the business. Um, thinking I was the best making the most money I can make because I'm doing everything. And then there's the business quadrant and there's the investing quadrant. Well, if you truly want to be a business owner, you got to get the business quadrant. And the only way to do that is to, is to scale. And I always say, you know, you've got to originate, delegate to elevate. I had to start taking off hats to give it to other people so that I wasn't doing working in the business that could work on the business. So my first hire was the, was a technician. Dude, Alan has brought this up a lot of different times. And it, you know, I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago. Having a vision for your company right off the bat is so huge, right? And you have that, you know, right from the get go, you were like, dude, I don't want a job. I want to own a business. I want to be a business owner. You know, like I, I want to have this business grow for me and, and provide me benefits. You don't want to be in the business for the rest of your life. In fact, you'd rather not be in the business um, for as you know, little time as possible. You want to be able to delegate, dude, that's, that's killer. And, yeah, and that's, I, think, I feel like you're hitting it. Yeah. And that's something I struggled with too, because you see all these other guys that are, you know, especially if they come from the door to door world, like they're scaling their businesses so fast and, you know, like making a, a crap ton of money and stuff. Um, but for me that I knew that that's not what I wanted to do because I wanted to build something that could sustain itself and operate itself. And I didn't want super quick growth because I wanted systems in place because time is the most important commodity commodity to me. And I knew that I wanted that to be able to run without me, which my pest control business, I, it pretty much runs without me. I literally spend an hour a day, Monday through Friday on it. Actually, sometimes not even that sometimes just four days a week, an hour a day on it. And it runs and it makes me money and it allows me to go do other things. Yeah. I, you know, there, there's a lot of people in this industry, in a lot of industries, but especially our industry, that they're doing their own thing, um, but they, their business would not operate without them. And I remember this epic freaking thread, and I think it was on in a different group. I can't remember if it was our group on Facebook or a different group, but um, somebody said, I can't even remember how it started, but somebody said, said, Hey dude, you don't have a business. You have a job. That was me. I said that. And everybody got mad at me about it. And I was just yes. like, 
Oh, Dude, was that you? That was just because you have an LLC, a piece of paper that says you own a business doesn't mean you own yeah. the business. You're still in the self-employed category. You're not a business. Yeah. So you're not and, a business and, until you can take a vacation or get sick or whatever. And your business still runs without you. Yeah. So, so, and I, I'd even take it one step further there, Jake. And I would say you don't have a business until you don't have to be there in order for it to grow, not just operate, grow. But, but kind of going back, like you talked about the cash flow quadrant, right? And Robert Kiyosaki like makes that he specifies a difference between somebody that's like a 1099 contractor. I think he called it like the small business or whatever in, in the book, somebody that kind of does their own thing, but they rely on their own labor compared to somebody that, um, cause that's the distinction between the W2 and the next mm-hmm. level. Right. Um, compared to somebody that leverages a business through, you know, help and support. Mm-hmm. Now I'll always say that there's not a right way or a wrong way. And this is why I, I like to talk about the vision of a company super early on. There's not a right way or a wrong way. There's some people, there are some legends in this industry that will never get out of the crawl spaces or off the ladder. They won't. They, they know more about pest control then I will ever forget, no, whatever. What, what's the saying? They've, they've forgotten more about pest control than I'll ever know. Something like that, right? Um, and they chose their path and they love it, right? They love the customer interaction. They love that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's, that's not, to me, when somebody says, you know, I own a business, I, you know, and it, to, it, it all depends on kind of their perspective, which I get. But that's different than when I say I own a business and it's not that I'm better or anything. It's that my vision is different. Yeah. Right. So when I talk to people and I was talking to somebody just, just uh, last night, he's wanting to grow from, I think he's doing like 85 grand a month right now, gross, gross receipts to a hundred. And we're talking about different things. And one of the very first things I told him was, well, where is your business in five or 10 years? Those aren't things I can answer. Those aren't things I can answer for you. So, but if, if you're of the group like Jake, like Eric, like myself, where you really want to scale your business, you have to delegate. You may be the best technician, door-to-door salesman, office manager, marketer, whatever, but you have to continually replace yourself. And I think what happens is when people do that, they learn like, okay, Maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I was, right? I learned that fast. <laughs> um, we have a door-to-door salesman right now. He's been with us. I think it's year five. Um, and he has just, he, he's on track to sell over 900 accounts. Crazy. Like Crazy. 98% pay, high contract wow. value. He, and, he, and I don't know, I should have looked up his numbers. But I think he sold 300 last year, just completely. And, and something just clicked for him. And I would venture to say that, you know, I have quite a few partners in the pest control industry. He's better than some of them. And I don't think they would argue with that. And you know what? That is exactly what I'm looking for. He's certainly better than me, right? There's no question about that. Some people, Jake, they, they have a problem with that. They have a problem saying there are people that I quote unquote manage or work for my company or whatever that are better 
at their job than I ever was. What are your thoughts about that? Dude, I'm the worst person at everything in my business. Dude, like, uh, <laughs> I don't I'm, think I'm I say everything. <laughs> Dude, I'm not smart. I, I'm, I'm resourceful, man. I leverage other people's time, talents, mm. and effort. Uh, I mean, shoot, I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the podcast, but I'm using Eric, like the co-host of the Bug Bucks podcast. I'm leveraging his skills, his talents, exactly. his mind uh, for marketing. And yeah. uh, it's, been, it's been huge for me uh, because I'm not smart enough to figure it out. So I reach out to people that are smart enough. Yeah. And I think that's awesome because you recognize that, look, it, there are very few things that um, a company doesn't need help with. I'm learning. And back before I started my first business, I used to think like businesses all had it figured out and, and everybody is struggling with pretty much every aspect, right? To different degrees, but you show me a business that couldn't use help with some, is there something Orkin could use help with? Absolutely. There's lots of things. The difference is, and I'm not speaking for Orkin, but with some, especially the smaller business owners, just to be frank, they think they know it all. They think they're, they're the badass, like, and they probably are to some extent, but it requires some level of humility. Like, you know, Eric used that word early on to describe you to say, Hey, we could do better if I kind of moved out of the way a little bit. One, let a consultant help or two, let my people help or hire for a specialization or whatever, but just kind of let me manage and get out of the way. Dude, I, I've realized that usually probably 99% of the time, I'm the biggest bottleneck in the business. Me as the owner am in the biggest bottleneck. Um, and it's funny when you, in, when you create a culture to where you empower your employees to make decisions and make improvements, like they're going to, they're going to take off and carry the ship without you. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you've empowered them to make those choices and those changes. Um, and we can talk about that a, a second. That's a two second lean principle. But when I, when I first hired my office guy, every, and, and I had him in my little home office at home, we both had desks side by side. We were both answering phone calls and stuff. I would, every time you'd answer the phone, it almost made me cringe. Cause I was like, dude, like you suck at this. I didn't, I mean, I didn't really say that, but, um, but I just got out of the way. I just, you know, let him learn. And dude, he's way better at the office. And you can ask Eric, Eric knows him. He's way better at the office side of stuff than I ever was. Um, it took a little bit where he wasn't at first, but that's only because I had the practice. But once I let him go and empowered him to make changes and make decisions, dude, he's like, he runs my, he runs my business. Yeah. So that reminds me, I'm going to share a quick story. I, I, I don't know the details. It was back in like the thirties or forties. It was a big bank. It was like, you know, JP Morgan or, or something. And, and this banker made this huge mistake, like $250,000 mistake, which back then was over a million bucks today. Right. Makes this huge mistake. Um, starts boxing up his stuff to leave the office gets called, you know, from the, from the CEO founder slash CEO. And he's like, Hey man, I need you to come, you know, come to my office. So dude finishes packing his stuff. He knew that that was it and gets in the office and, um, you know, he's like, Hey, you don't have to tell me. I know I made that mistake. I've already boxed up my stuff. I'm out of here. He's like, what do you mean you're out of here? 
He's like, I just invested $250,000 into you. You're never leaving. And, and he's like, but, but you know, I, what about the mistake? And what about, you know, it could happen again. He's like, out of all the people that work here, you are the least likely to let it happen again. Right. Yeah. Cause you've learned this lesson. And that kind of takes me into this thought that one thing that we really struggle with in the pest business. And I think people struggle with this um, entrepreneurs as a whole, but we really struggle allowing people to fail. We always want to coddle them and, and I've experienced this and, and I get it, but we really struggle. But when you do that, when you allow somebody to fail and you go back and you put your arm around them and you're like, Hey man, I've made worse mistakes than that. I'm still here. Right. You, you are doing so many things. You, you are creating somebody that will be fiercely loyal to you. Yeah. You're allowing them to learn and grow. You're allowing them to, to take the autonomy of their, of their duties and take ownership of it. When you allow somebody to fail and you don't bitch them out and you don't fire them, you are saying, this is your company too. And when yeah. you say that to somebody, they start to care at a much deeper level. Now there are some mistakes like, Hey, we, we don't put up with, but if it's, you, you, 90% of mistakes are perfectly okay. They're learning opportunities, yeah. but we struggle with it. And I would even say that probably 99% of mistakes are usually not the person's fault. It's the process's fault. So if something went wrong, okay, well, let's look at the process and go up the chain. Where, where is the bottleneck here? Because it's usually not the person's fault. It's the process's fault. And I think a lot of, I love what you said, Alan, because I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs and leaders, our number one job is not to boost revenue or to boost the bottom line. It's to develop people. Well, I love that you say that, dude, because people focus on the bottom line, the revenue, the profit. I mean, these are all lag measures. They come after the fact, right? And the, the best leaders uh, focus on the lead measures, right? Which just like you said, it's systems, processes, effort, philosophy, company culture, you know, all those things will give you the results that you want. But if you just focus on the numbers, man, you're going to be kicking yourself frustrated that you have no idea what's going on or why your business isn't running the way you want. Mm -hmm. Got to focus on the lead measures, man. I love that you brought that up. Yeah, that's a transition I've kind of made because I, I got too caught up in a lot of numbers and KPIs and statistics and yada, yada, yada. But now my number one focus uh, with 417 Pest Solutions is to develop people and specifically to develop my office guy because he's, he runs my business. So I develop him and then, and his number one job is to develop everybody else. Um, and so that's been like my main focus lately is just working on developing him. Um, and as a byproduct, the team as well. Yeah. I think it's when you start to get upper level managers, right? You have managers that are managing people that are managing people. It's really hard, especially when you're kind of in the earlier stage of stages of a business, at least the growth of it, because people will come to you directly. But if you, there are very few things that you can do to ruin a leader more or more quickly than cutting them out of a conversation. And I've learned this from experience. I'll have people come directly to me when I have maybe two or three managers in between us. 
And it's not that, you know, like I'm sitting on my throne and I'm too good to, to handle it. It's actually the opposite. Like, I don't know all the details. I don't know the processes like some of those managers know. And what's more is that I don't really have the authority to handle it in the first place. So when you have those managers, like what you just said, like I work on him and then he can manage my team. That's, it's super wise. That's, it's, you know, that's what really needs to be happening because then the accountability is flowing in the right direction and you're not cutting somebody's legs out from underneath them. Yeah. When you, when you step on people's feet, they're trying, they're trying to do a good job. They're like, yeah, man, I'm the manager. And like, that means something to them. It does. It means that like, Hey, there's somebody that I'm, I've been entrusted with something. I've been entrusted with leading these people, helping them develop, helping grow this company. And, and you just step all over people because you think the problem's too big for them to handle, or it's too urgent. That's the real problem. Yeah. If you can really train your people to, uh, problem solve themselves, it empowers them. And something that you can give them more than, than even giving them money is just taking your ideas and creating them to be standards in the company. Uh, so for example, uh, because of two second lane, and we can talk about that a little bit that I, you know, implemented into my company. Um, but we had, so <laughs> we started doing, um, we did a training where, cause sorry that I'm trying to figure out how to explain this, but we did a training basically of walking through spraying a, a commercial building. Right. And we just use it as an example, as if it was a residential residential home and the customer is only willing to pay for us spraying pest control. Like that's the only value added. Everything else we do is waste. There's no value added. So we did this training where our guy was going around and anytime he was spraying, we were like value added, value added, value added. Anytime he was going back and forth to the truck, grabbing stuff, uh, not spraying, we were like non-value added, non-value added, non-value added because there was no value added because the customer is not willing to pay for those things. The customer is only willing for you to pay or willing to pay for you to hmm. do pest control. Well, anyways, every time they were pumping the B and G, right, that's not added value because they're not spraying pest control or every time they set it down and pick it up and pump it again. Well, we calculated some of the math on that and uh, I won't go into all that, but essentially we found that there was so much waste using the B and G and people are going to be like, oh, you know, get mad at me because I know that's like an industry standard to use a B and G. Well, we switched to a handheld battery powered pump and it's a lot more efficient, right? Cause we're not pumping anymore. It just, it automatically pressurizes itself on the inside, but we found out that the wand was not very good at leak. So my, one of my guys was like, Hey, why don't we swap out the B and G wand onto that pump and see if it works. And we did it and we implemented it. And now it's a, a company standard. And that empowered him along with other people to be like, Hey, my boss, my, the owner, values my opinions and my ideas and is willing to implement them. And that that's empowering. Dude, I, I think that's awesome. And as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking in my mind, okay, with my inside sales team, the inside sales teams that I've worked with, I've always said, Hey, battle with value. Don't battle with price, right? Battle with value. That's what really matters. That's what customers care about. That's what's going to make you the sale. And I've never really thought of evaluating with value right? Like you, you pull your upper level managers aside and you say, Hey, 
listen, let's talk about what our customers actually see value in what's valuable to us. Right. Like, you know, what's, what's cutting our cost, like what's cutting our profits, right? This lost time that we're talking about that doesn't give any value to us. doesn't give any value to the customer, right? Evaluating with value, man. That's, that's awesome. I'm all about trying to create efficiencies and we can go into two second lingo again, like I said, but just here's an, here's an example. Like most problems come from the office side of things. Usually the office side is the biggest bottleneck. It's not usually the people out in the field. It's usually the office people. Um, but we'll just do like run through a quick example. Uh, say you need to print an invoice. We'll just say a print an invoice that process, what that process look like, looks like. So somebody gets their hand, they grab the mouse, they move the mouse over to the spot to click on the form. Then they move it over to click on print and then they scroll down to click on print. And then they have to scroll over to confirm a print. Like there's all this processing, right? Once they finally click print, a lot of times they have to get up. So then you have wasted motion, wasted movement, walk over to the printer. That's usually like down the hallway, like in another office, grab the paper, come back. And that's not even to mention, like if they click the wrong print, you know, all this different stuff that can happen. So just that whole motion, when you can cut that out and go, okay, let's put the printer right next to the person doing the thing. What about control P enter boom. That just went from like a minute process down to like maybe a 10 second process. So that's something that we're constantly looking at right now. in my company is every morning I pay my guys to focus on that. We're not doing work. We're not doing anything business related. We're not spraying customers from 7.30 to eight o'clock in the morning. We are asking the question, what's bugging me? What's making my job hard or miserable? What do I not like about my job? Okay, let's improve that thing. So is this what you're talking you're about reaching... when you refer to two-second lean? Yeah, so two-second lean, there's a lot to it and I'm still learning a lot about it. Um, but essentially it's about developing your people to do problem solving, to uh, empower them to make those changes and, and decisions, um, and building a culture of, on, with problem solvers, essentially. And I tell you, it's amazing what happens when you start empowering your guys to come up with some ideas, you'll be like baffled. You'd be like, Holy cow. I never even thought of that. And the mm-hmm. stuff they come up with, and it makes you so much more efficient. I, I was introduced to two second lane. This is how the conversation went. You guys should look up this guy. His name's Hugh Carnahan. Uh, he goes by the hillbilly millionaire. Uh, he's a friend of mine. He's a, a multimillionaire. He's got uh, multiple businesses and he's a successful in, uh, real estate investor. But anyways, he, he this is the, com- I had a five minute conversation with him. He said, Hey, or what do you like when you go to a customer's house? Like, what do you do with the trucks? And I said, well, we pull up to the curb and then we, you know, treat the house. And he said, well, how many steps is it from the truck to the house? I said, I don't know. On average, probably about 15 yards. And he's like, and how many times do you think you do that? I said, on average, probably, you know, three or four times to go back, to get products, go back in the house, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so we calculated it up, how much distance was being traveled. And again, this is non-value added, right? Cause the customers are not willing to pay for that. They're only willing to pay for you to spray the house. Um, so we calculated up how many working days was involved, how much money was, uh, being wasted essentially. And it was like 40 some thousand dollars, whether in savings or making. So the, the one simple improvement we made is now we back into the, if feasible, right. If, if, if feasible back into their driveways, because then the tailgate where all our products and equipment is, is right at the house. So as soon as you come out, you're at the house. Now you can spray like you're already mm-hmm. right there. And we actually grab both our backpack sprayer and the handheld sprayer 
put the backpack sprayer down by the front door, go inside, do the inside, come out, grab the back, uh, put the handheld down, grab the backpack sprayer, do the outside, grab both and put in the truck because we've eliminated a lot of waste. Hmm. That's amazing. The detail that you're, you know, that you're analyzing and I think it kind of begs the question, how do you get your team on board with this? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like the, the, the easy thing is, is I have a small company, right? So it's easy and we're still at the early stages. So it's easy to easier, I would say to implement that kind of culture. It might be harder for some other people, but if you went to implement the culture and people aren't on board, then they're, they're just like, get rid of them. They're not part of your culture, right? Invite them to go somewhere else where someone will pay them to not do the thing that they're supposed to be doing. Um, but how we've been able to do it is we've, we just had a lot of trainings we bought in we've had to teach the concepts, but what we do to continue, uh, to do this is every morning we have a morning meeting and our morning meeting. So from, I'll tell you how the process looks. So from seven 30 to eight o'clock in the morning, my guys are doing what's called three S time. Three S time stands for sweep, sort, and standardize. It's basically cleaning things up, uh, organizing things, sorting things, and sorting things from most used to least used. And that's a whole nother, we can go into a whole nother detailed thing with that. Um, and then standardize it, make it a standard. Like if it makes the process smoother, faster, more efficient and effective, then we standardize it. So they're doing that from 7.30 to 8 o'clock, I pay them to do that. We're not going and making money at all. We're just focusing on that. And then from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, we uh, have a morning meeting that's full, uh, focused on these two second lean principles. It's focused on um, learning, growing, and developing. Um, it, we don't talk anything pest control related. It's all just about learning and growing. And then at the end of the meeting, we'll have like battle plans and, and some you know dashboard announcements company-wide so that way we're if there's any issues that have come up we can tackle it right then and there and we do this daily hmm. dude it's so crazy to think about some of the the little things that you've changed in your business and to hear about the math that you've done to figure out how much revenue you're either wasting or you know costs that you're saving by doing all this stuff um you know i, I read a quote and I had to look it up it's a bruce barton quote and it says, sometimes when I consider what tremendous consequences come from little things, I am tempted to think there are no little things, right? And man, if, if anybody's listening right now that is trying to figure out what things that they can change that are small and simple, that'll have a huge impact on their business, dude, share this episode with somebody, man. Like, this is huge. These are small and simple things that you could change like today, this week, and start saving money. That's awesome, you know, man. I, I mean, I think that's a great point, Eric, because when, when I was like the, our first branch manager, I remember there would be issues come up and I always wanted to just solve the immediate problem versus solving the root of the problem or creating a system from mm -hmm. it. Because I was so focused on, oh, we just need to get this tech to the customer. If a tech got it, a flat tire. I wasn't focused on what could we have done to prevent it? What, what process can we have in place so that it doesn't take my time if it happens again or whatever, right? What's the, what's the routine maintenance that, that should have taken place? I'm just like, let's get the tire fixed so that he can get to his next job. And so I feel like there's this paradigm shift 
that has to happen to get from the average person, you know, to a guy like Jake. And I don't know that a lot of people will will get to the point where they're counting how many pumps of the BM, BNG there. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's crazy if you get that micro. It's, it's insane. But I think that paradigm shift, I do like that where it's like, okay, um, you know, and, and even if you have a system for working on your systems, for example, I've shared this a bunch of times, we don't make any systemic changes for six months out of the year, five months out of the year, the busy, our busy season but we also don't forget about it. So if we have somebody with a flat tire and we don't necessarily have the time to, to address that, you know, create, you know, a new meeting, do training on it. We put that on our, you know, September to-do list. Um, I think business generally, you evolve or you die. That's it. Yeah. Business isn't like the government. Government doesn't have to grow. Government doesn't have to show its worth. Government doesn't have to make people happy. Government doesn't have to get good reviews. And they'll, you know, they can just tax people, right? Or throw them in jail. But a business either evolves and grows or it dies. It's either, it's either thriving or it's dying. And the only way for it to thrive is through evolution. It has yeah. to take on this mentality of, how am I improving my processes, even if I'm not doing it right now? Because there are moments when it's like, okay, now's not the right time. Now's not the right time for me to call everybody into the office that, you know, they're, they're covering hundreds of square miles right now to, to address this. But you also don't want to forget it because especially those really big pain points, because they're going to happen again. Yeah. That's what's awesome and, about two second lean because you get to focus on the process. You get to focus on the continual improvement daily. Like you're stopping work and you're just focusing on it daily, which also allows you to pivot quicker because if stuff comes up, problems come up, you're working on it daily that allows you to adapt and go, you know? So it's, and it's been, it's just been awesome having doing two second lean. Dude. I, I love that we kind of segued into this because one of my favorite books, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Dude, if anybody's listening to this and they haven't read that book, go go buy that book and read it. Mm. Um, but there's a time management matrix in that book. And yes. one of the quadrants is the important and urgent, right? Yes. It's where you spend like all your time, especially as a new business owner. Um, but the quadrant right next to it, quadrant two, is the important but not urgent. Yes. And that's the stuff that helps you the most, right? Like you have to be proactive to be in that quadrant. And that's what also keeps stuff from falling into quadrant one, where it is now important and urgent, right? And Jake and his staff are hanging out in quadrant two hmm. on purpose. Like hmm. they purposefully make time to hang out in quadrant two so that they are less surprised by what happens in quadrant one, dude. It, that's awesome. Well, that's what's crazy is because a lot of times as, as business owners, what are we usually doing this stuff? We're not usually doing pest control. We're not usually doing the thing that adds value. We're usually dealing with this fire or, you know, dealing with this office, you know, mess up or the invoice got sent to a wrong person or we overcharge somebody or doing all the things that do not add value to the customer. And at the end of the day, the customer is only willing to pay for or pay us to do the thing that they're willing to pay us for. And so that, this is what I, I, again, I love about two second lean is because then we can focus on those 
fires that could happen. We almost prevent them ahead of time because we're constantly improving. Dude, you're so passionate about your processes and your systems, man. I, I love it because I, you know, I talked to a lot of business owners who, you know, you get to the point where you're kind of confused. You kind of lost your way a little bit. You get, you know, uh, all stuck in all the, like you said, putting out fires, all that stuff. And Alan, I think is really, really great at being tied to a vision. He talks about it all the time. You're passionate about your vision and your systems and your processes. You know exactly what you want to do. If anybody's listening right now and you're kind of struggling with this stuff, dude, like here are some awesome, awesome things that you can implement in your business to kind of refocus you. Pick a vision, get a system, make a process and roll with it. I love it, dude. Yeah, I think there's there's all these intrinsic benefits to having a vision. When I first, you know, my brother and I first started proof, dude, I would freak out over the smallest stuff. I remember I heard that there was a door-to-door team coming to our area, um, which it really hadn't been knocked except for us. And I remember thinking, man, it's, you know, it's over. Let's pack it up. And then I had a tech get into an accident. It's over. Let's pack it up. I had, you know, I printed the wrong number on the flyers. It's like, it's over, let's pack it up. And it was so short-sighted. And when you have a vision, even even your vision, I think should evolve to some extent over time. But if you have that five, 10 year mark, dude, it's really tough to think that, you know, these, these small things like, you know, you, you printing the wrong number on a flyer, you know, it doesn't matter. So I always try to put myself like every morning I do visualization techniques where I'll, I'll imagine myself at that five-year mark, that 10-year mark. What am I doing? What does proof look like as I, as I go to proofpest.com and I look at our locations, where do I see those dots across the United States? Right? Like I imagine it, how does that make me feel seeing those? What are my communications like with my people and stuff like that? And when I get to that level, where my vision gets that clear, it immediately reduces stress and allows me to, you know, to contextualize things where it's like, yeah, I freaking printed the wrong number on the flyers. So what in 10 years, I'm not going to remember that. Right. And so in addition to kind of keeping you on track with your vision, going back to your vision allows you to de-stress. It's like, Hey, because I printed the wrong number on those flyers, is that going to take me off course from my vision? No. So when things happen, that's the real question. The other thing I love about creating a vision and keeping it, you know, keeping it mentally there on a regular basis is that it, it gives you this, you know, this perspective of, you know, why you're doing things. It helps with the decision-making. So it's like when you get to you get to an impasse, you're 50-50, you're like, hey, I don't know, you know, what we should do here. Then you check in with your vision. Like, hey, where do we want to be in 10 years? Here's the cool thing about it, guys. It's win-win. Because if you're like, you know, we're 50-50, we can't make a decision here. Um, and you check in with your vision, it's like it's actually not going to affect our vision, then it doesn't matter which one you decide. Or you check in with your vision and you're like, oh, I think actually with that in mind, this is the better way to do it. This is great for small stuff that causes like 
um, your stress levels to go through the roof. Issues with yeah. personnel, issues with employees, when, uh, sorry, with customers, when they're like, hey, I want a refund, like I'm sick of it. Give them a refund because you're looking at 10 years. You're not looking at today or even this week. And so that just kind of allows, it's just for all the irons that I have in the fire, that more than anything, and my gratitude practices have allowed me to kind of, I get this question a lot, like, Alan, how do you handle everything? Well, first of all, I don't, I <laughs> surround myself with great people and they handle a lot of it for me. But, but second, like, what's the worst that could happen, right? Like it's, it's when I'm looking at 10 years down the road and I'm not trying to become an overnight millionaire, like a lot of the young folks are trying to do. When I'm looking at 10 years, stock market doesn't really affect me that much, guys. Crypto, freaking Bitcoin's in the dumpster right now. And I'm just buying the crap out of it because I'm not looking at this week. I'm looking at 10 years. And, and those folks that are looking at 10 years, they're the ones that are spending all that time in that quadrant two, that important, not urgent category that makes them 10x versus a smaller growth or whatever. And I love what you said, Alan, because, you know, uh, a vision does give you why it does give you purpose. It does give you direction and clarity, and it does help with decisions. I found myself so many times not following my vision or filtering anything that comes through as an opportunity. And, uh, so I took them and then it causes stress. It's almost like it could prevent stress. It can help you with making decisions because there's a lot of opportunities that come your way, but if it's not in line in your, with your vision, why are you taking it? Cause it's going to derail you off of what you're trying to accomplish. And I've been there and I've done that multiple times. You know, I love how powerful a vision can be when it also comes to delegating, which Jake is killer at. And, you know, when you have an upper level manager that comes to you with whatever issue, and Jake was saying that, you know, he lets his office guy pretty much handle a lot of this stuff. You know, that's his, that's his whole, whole, uh, process is when somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I've got this situation going on. If you're a vision leader in your business, all you have to worry about, like Alan was saying is, um, okay, well, does the direction that my office manager want to go fit our vision? If the answer is yes, I can let him go do his thing. I don't even have to give him the answer. He can go figure it out. You know, he can come up with a solution and implement it and get his, everybody else on board with it. Right. If it doesn't fit the vision, you can help refocus him to where it does. And then you let him go right? Your sole purpose is kind of the owner and vision leader of your business is just that focus on your vision, make sure that everything that's mm. going on fits your vision and everything else, everyone else can take care of if they're tied into the vision that you want. Yeah. Love that's, it. that's the ultimate way to manage. It's the ultimate way to manage because when you're focused on the vision, you're not focused on the specifics. You're not going to micromanage somebody because you don't care. What difference does it make? how they get something done as long as it's moving us toward our vision. And, and when you get to that type of look at guys, as we're, I mean, as we're wrapping up here, one of the main reasons why all of us that are involved in this conversation, the folks that are listening, one of the main reasons why we started pest control companies was because we wanted to control our time. And if that's one of the reasons why you started your pest control company or you're wanting to start one, and it may not be number one, it may not be number two, but it should be at least in the top five, then you need to be true to yourself 
and you need to let people help you. One of the biggest struggles I have with the companies that I consult with is this aspect of just letting them or encouraging them to let go just a little bit. And, and I think when, when you have your vision in place, you can let go of the reins a little bit and, and you just focus on that, right? Where, where do we want to be in 10 years? And are we on that path? Jake, dude, this has been fantastic, man. It's, it's incredible. All the things that you're accomplishing. I'd like to get back, get you back on the show, maybe in the next few months and talk about how you're able to parlay owning a pest control business into some other ventures and some, some other investments. I would love um, to. That's, that's where the real fun and, and uh, passion is. So I would love to do that. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what I was just saying about us wanting to be able to control our time, have that freedom. Yeah. So let's definitely get you back. Where can people reach out to you if they have some questions about how you're doing such an awesome job with your systems or, or whatever else? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, you know, Jake Engledew. I'm going to be the only one that pops up. Um, but if you want to learn more about like what I've got going on, uh, especially with real estate investing, uh, entrepreneurship, stuff like that. We've got a podcast. It's called The Growth Circle Podcast. Um, we've got a Facebook page. You can reach out to us on that. Um, but yeah, that's that's how you can find us. Well, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for joining us today, Jake. And we wish you nothing but success in the future, my man. Thank you for listening to The Growth Circle Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, connect with Jake and John on Instagram at Jake Engledew and at John underscore the underscore builder. Until next time, 